When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So English Premier League football after two. One man who will be thrilled that Liverpool are top of the table is my next guest. We have him on the programme every week. I think he is, when it comes to cricket, uh, one of the finest and most um, articulate and distinguished gentlemen in the game. His name is Garth Galloway. Garth, welcome. G'day, yeah, Mark. Thank you for that. And uh, isn't, it, isn't it great news? We're back where we belong. Eh? <laughs> yeah, it is. Look, I'm not even sure we're necessarily the, quite the finished product yet. I still think we're probably a couple of players away from being a great, great side. But the nature of the English Premier League, man, I mean, anybody can win at the moment. I think Manchester City yep. will ultimately end up losing a lot of points for financial um, yeah, irregular, irregularities. But, hey, it is nice coming up to Christmas to be top of the table. It's fantastic. There's an awful lot of football on at the moment, doesn't it? I've just been watching um, highlights packages, and gee, it's a good product, that Premier League. I, I, I just love it. And, uh, you know, the commentaries are such high class. The comments people are wonderful. You know, it's all about the game for me. And, 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 you know, those people are just quietly telling us about the game and what's going on. They're very astute analysts. Love it. Yeah, but what they also do too, everything is about the fan, isn't it? Everything is directed at the fans. Yeah. You sit down, you listen to the managers, it's about the fans. You see the you see the players celebrating, it's about the fans. When a player leaves the field, they're acknowledging the fans. When the players leave the field collectively, they acknowledge the fans. And it's something here in New Zealand, it's a model we need to move towards. I'm not sure whether we've ever quite been there, but rugby in particular have actually got to start taking it back to the fan. That would be a, that would, that'd be a great thing. And, and I think also when you... You know, I, I was reading an article today about slow overrates as an article in the Sunday Times about slow overrates in Test cricket, and you know, thinking about and, and deploring just just how poor things have got. And I think we talked about uh, that first session in Silent, the, the, the first Test, where half the overs were bowled by spin bowlers, and I think New Zealand bowled 25 overs in that first session. Um, you know, the, who is the onus on? Is it on the is it on the umpires to keep them moving? You know, the onus is on the players, really, um, and, and the coaches and so on, to get the players moving and to bowl those 90 overs in, in the required time, not to have to, the extra half hour every day. And often that's not even long enough. Uh, so, you know, you're quite right. If you're thinking about the fans, uh, then you'd be bowling your 90 overs within the required time and giving them value for money. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm all for players' associations, but I think it's almost too powerful. I think a lot of these players' associations have too much power now. You're basically a trade union. You sign a professional contract at 18, and you're the one dictating terms. And, yeah, I, I just think the commercial realities, you've got to understand, without, a, without the fan base, you actually have nothing. And I think we're seeing crowds diminish here in New Zealand. Um, population is a big thing, clearly. But nobody still seems to put their hand up and actually want to address it. Nobody can still see it. It's like, man, it's all about service, surely. Well, we've been talking about it for years, as you'll know, uh, on, on radio, just watching time after time after time, you know, uh, sides not bowling those overs and, not, and, and, and the run rates, uh, the, the, sorry, the over rates reducing and reducing and reducing. And, you know, Australia missed a World Cup final. Um, they were supposed to play in that series against us when we beat India in England uh, to win the World Chess Championship. And they missed that uh, due to so over rates, you know. So 
that 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 was a decent penalty and a, and a pretty severe sanction. Uh, but I think they've got to, they've got to monitor it more closely on a daily basis. Mm. And the onus, as I say, Mark, really has to go on coaches and players to say this is what the public expect of us, and not have to be pushed along by the officials. You know, they they, they really do. They spend far too much time mucking around, and it's um, it's to the detriment of the game, unquestionably. Garth Galloway, my guest on the programme. Garth, want to talk about the second test. We got the job done. Uh, Bangladesh had reduced us to 69 for six, but Philip Santnet rescued it, and we got home in that run chase of 137. Um, I see Southies come out and called it the worst pitch he's ever played on, said that it started to turn square after the first 30 minutes. Sum up the second test for us. Uh, one of the great test results for New Zealand, or was it, with the nature of the pitch, just a little bit of a lottery and it could have gone either way. And really, it came down to a little bit of luck more than anything. Oh, it, it, it was certainly a lottery. Um, you know, um, I think it was a good toss for New Zealand to lose uh, and for Bangladesh to bat first. The ball moved around quite early on. Mind you, it moved around throughout the entire test, really. But, but I thought that New Zealand uh, did pretty well. They hung in there and, and they fought pretty hard, as this team tends to do from time to time. I mean, I think... You know, to go back to the first test, they'll be really kicking themselves for starting slowly and losing that test. Uh, they were very poor in that second innings, and it cost them. And you know, again, it's not too dissimilar uh, to when they played Bangladesh at home and lost the first test last year. Uh, you know, those you you got to start hard and start well, and make sure that you don't get yourselves into those positions. So it was a good fight last night. Uh, you know, I think the development of uh, Phillips, a fabulous test for him. Uh, he has to be part of this test team now, I think. I'm sure of it. He, you know, he's only played three tests. In his first test against Australia, he got 52 uh, and naught. Uh, the test in Sydney in 2020 when New Zealand were really struggling. But but he just looks to me to be a mercurial sort of player who has, you know, he, he's gutsy. Uh, he's not going to throw his wicket away particularly. And I thought his batting in those conditions, was exceptionally good and, and extremely well aided by Santner as well, uh, who also, you know, had a, had a reasonable spell with the ball. But, but those conditions so 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 suitable for uh, for spin bowlers, weren't they? So putting this test victory in context, um, first time I think we've won a test in 15 years in Bangladesh. I mean, is it is it? Should we be jumping up and down? Should we be celebrating this, or have Bangladesh not really deserved, earned that right just yet? And we should still be just disappointed the fact that we didn't win the series two 0 I, I think we should be disappointed we, we didn't win the series two 0 or at least one 0 uh, You know, if that, if that first match could have been drawn or whatever. But no, I, I, I don't think we should be. Well, we should be pleased that they've won and shown character and fought back in very difficult conditions. So that's the first thing they, they deserve. Uh, real credit when that they could have thrown that game away as well. And as I say, they fight hard and they show character, and that's to their credit. But no, I don't. I don't think you come away from this series feeling that uh, it's a satisfactory outcome for a New Zealand side. Again, if we look at the top uh, sort of three or four teams in Test cricket, we, we see Australia, India. I always think England. You know, with, with uh, Anderson and Broad in the last few years have been pretty compelling as well. Uh, we're not really competing with those sides and you know for, for us if we want to be in that top four or so or top five uh, you, you know we have to be, be be much more compelling in a series like this so uh, I feel you know it, it's a bare pass mark really um, 
and I, I suppose still lots of question marks over who's going to play over here against uh, South Africa and how we're going to perform against Australia later later in the summer. Yeah, and I do want to move on to that, but just going back to Bangladesh, though, but should should we be celebrating the fact that Bangladesh are starting to come of age and, you know, we want depth in international cricket. We had it with Zimbabwe to a degree in the 1990s, then clearly political turmoil, probably cancelled that. We've got a West Indian team who seem to be good in the short form, no longer good in the five-day form. But Bangladesh, uh, maybe maybe at home, are a difficult side and therefore, you know, there is another another team we can add to the list in terms of legitimate challenges. Well, well, in Bangladesh you can, I think. There, I mean, bear in mind, though, that, that, that Bangladesh have only won uh, series and test cricket against, uh, against uh, Zimbabwe, a very weak Zimbabwe side, and they've beaten them on a number of occasions. And they've won four tests against the West Indies at home as well. And again, a weak West Indies side. So are they, are they coming of age? I, I think they've got a way to go yet. And, and you know, for me, they, they'll come of age when they play well away from home. And, and in fairness, you know, they did win that test against New Zealand last year. Um, for me, again, this side uh, is is, miss, is missing Das, one of their very good uh, batsmen, and of course it's missing Shakib, their world-class all-rounder, uh, and one of their fast bowlers as well. Whether or not he would have played is another issue. But so so it's not a Bangladesh side that was absolutely at its strongest, but that they are developing some young players. They are very good at under-19 level, and they have a huge population to choose from. So. You know, you hope that uh, Bangladesh will be competitive uh, when they play away from home. I mean, I quite like the fact that it's a difficult place to go to and a difficult place to do well in. And, and you know, we, we, New Zealand sides are going to play a lot of cricket on, on the subcontinent and in conditions in Asia that are difficult for us. So, you know, this is just part of the, this is part of the future. We're going to be going mm. to Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan. You know, we have to learn to play there. Mm. But, I mean, we go back to a point, though, isn't it? Cricket in our national teams, it's about entertainment, it's about a sense of nationalism, it's about us going up, you know, little brother against big brother. I'm just trying to get my head around what is the purpose and point of playing Bangladesh on a regular basis when people here clearly don't seem to care, and looking at the crowd numbers in Bangladesh, people over there don't seem to care. Yeah, look, I agree, and, uh, and you know, I find it incredibly hard to get excited for a uh, you know, what have we got? Three one days, I think, and, and then five T20 games coming up against them over here in New Zealand conditions. Uh, you know, I'd expect New Zealand to trounce the Bangladesh side over here uh, in our conditions. Yeah, I, I do find it, you know, we're, we're kind of overrepresented in terms of playing against them. We play against them a lot, and the other side that we've played an awful lot in the last sort of 10 years has been Sri Lanka, particularly over here in New Zealand. And you know, I said we've got that series against Australia, which is fabulous news, 2026, 2027. But we just haven't been able to draw some of those big sides across mm-hmm. here. Um, and, and it all comes from being able to provide, you know, a compelling opposition. And, and, and bear in mind, New Zealand has been a very good test side in the last 10 years or so. They've done extremely well. The question for me is, is, is are they going to keep that going uh, in, the, in the immediate future? And I think we've got problems. Mm. Okay, Garth. Um, we've talked about Glenn Phillips, and you believe, and I think a lot of people believe, the need for him to be in this Black Caps test lineup going forward. A uh, big call to for Ravindra off the back of what he did at the World Cup, and can he carry that form into Red Bull cricket? But the big talking point is Henry Nichols. Now, interesting article. New Black Cap selector Sam Wells, and this sort of scares me a little bit, has come out. And I quote what he said. He he believes he's about pretty much as good as any, you know, should be included in the discussion with our great 
batsmen or great cricketers of recent times. He says Henry is up there with some of our greats of the game in terms of run scoring well said. He seems to attract this criticism. He's playing with some of the greats of the modern era for New Zealand. When you look at some of the other guys' averages... In 56 tests, Nichols has accumulated 2,970 runs at an average of 37.59 with 9 centuries and 1250s. If you look at past teams, and they had a batsman with Henry Nichols' record, he would be one of our best players, and it is a very good record. His form has been up and down a little bit, but obviously he scored a double hundred a couple of tests ago. He's got 9 test centuries, which is as many as Stephen Fleming um, scored in his 111 tests. What do you make of those comments? And does that suggest to you that Henry Nichols is locked in and that these people are sort of cherry-picking the statistics perhaps a bit? Uh, well, first first, first things first, you know, Sam Wells as a selector, I think it's fantastic that he's talking. Um, you know, selection has been something of a mysterious art over many years and selectors are not... Uh, and it's it's customary really for them to stay in the shadows and, and not speak about selections and, and I can understand that as well but, but so I think it's great that Sam's speaking and talking about it do I agree with him absolutely not and um, you know I have to say that I, I find those comments a little bit frightening like you uh, you know when you talk about you know up there with the greats of New Zealand cricket uh, yeah, I'm like, sorry yeah, but, like but, but no no not, not a chance and, um, and, and and I find that that sort of talk uh, really frightening and I, and I couldn't understand what he's talking about when he talks about you know that saying that if he was in other teams or something he'd be one of the first chosen I mean he's playing in this era uh, this is what you judge him on he's played four tests against Australia he averages 17 he's played 10 tests against England he averages 29 six tests against India he averages 13.5 now those for me are the three best test playing nations uh, he scored then in those 20 tests of his 56 against those three countries, uh, one century against England, 150 against Australia, 150 against England. He has not scored a 50 or 100 against India. He hasn't scored 100 against Australia. So, you, you know, these are the figures that, for me, start to put things into, in, into context. So 20... You know, of his 20 of those tests against those three top nations, he's averaging 22. Okay, so, 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 so I'm sorry. How does a guy like Sam Wells end up becoming a selector if that is the ideology that he's presenting? And then we get a guy like you, Garth, who comes in with some common sense, looks at the statistics legitimately, picks his argument apart. How do these guys become selectors? I mean, how much do they really know about the game? Because I think everybody that's listening to this will 100% agree with you and 100% disagree with Sam Wells. Well, you know, Sam was a very fine, you know, a very good first-class cricketer. Oh, yeah. and, um, you know, and so, and so you, you know, I, I don't, you know, he's entitled to his view, um, but but I just think he's wrong. And, and I, you know, I find it, this is the sort of, you know, these teams get into these defence mechanisms and they just start to, you know, open their mouths and talk. And what comes out, actually, when you when you start to look at it, look, Nichols in 2020 averaged 47 in test cricket. That's a, that's a very good return. In 2021, he averaged 35. In 2022, he averaged 27. In 2023, he averaged 29. Now, that 29 that he averaged included that 200 not out. So apart from that 200 not out, he averaged 12 in Test cricket uh, in 2023. These are not numbers that no, no, but Garth, but this, one of our great. But Garth, this is the due diligence you're doing. Do our selectors do this level of due diligence, I guess, is the question I'm asking? Or... Well, of course they do. No, no. Well, do they? Of course they do. I, well, I'm sure they do. Uh, but what, what the selectors have also said is that, you know, Nichols has been in, in, 
well, you know, I, I think they have to try and justify what they do. I think what you've seen in the squad is a, a real reluctance to drop people. And so, as I've said to you before, sometimes I think it's easier for the, um, you know, it, it, it's easier to get in the side than it is to get out of it. And I stand by that comment when I watch and see that Nichols, you know, continues to be picked. And this is not, you know, this is nothing against Henry Nichols, you know, the person or, or, or anything along those lines. I just can't understand, however, um, why, you know, why he's continuing to be picked. And as I talked to you, you know, he scored 105 against South Africa last year, and I think he then had um, uh, 15 innings where he was averaging about 16. Mm. You know, for me, you know, a player like him, he, then he's going to get 200 not out, and they're going to pick him, they're going to say he's in good form because he got 200 in the last, last few innings. Well, he's now, you know, he's got 19-2-1 in North or something, I think, in Bangladesh. Mm. So um, it, it's just a... You know, an absolute lack of courage and conviction by the selectors. You know, sometimes you have to make decisions that are hard. Um, sometimes you have to make changes. But you've got to get ahead of them and not behind them. And that's the sign of good selection. Mm. No, well said, well said. Look, finally, before we let you go, and I know you're teeing off about quarter past one, and you're going to go out there, you're going to keep your head down, you're going to make sure you've got your back I swing am. high, you're going to play with soft hands. Uh, I do want to just touch on Lou Vincent. Good news this week that his life ban has been lifted. He's able to now be involved in cricket right up to a domestic level at least. And finally, um, some common sense. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? I, I'm so pleased, and I was really, really thrilled to hear... Um, Scott Wang, the new chief executive of New Zealand Cricket, coming out and saying that New Zealand supported his um, his ban being lifted. You know, I felt that that was the right thing for New Zealand Cricket to say. Uh, you know, I think we should commend uh, John Bracewell and all of the people uh, who have strived so hard for Lou and Chris Morris, his lawyer, who's a good mate up in Auckland and a, and a wonderful bloke. You know, they've done a they've done a really good job. It, it was, as I've said to you before, a foolish decision to give him 11 life bans when he turned up and cooperated and confessed to everything. Um, and, you know, they had that sort of sense of indignation that um, the English can get sometimes. Uh, but but I'm, I'm just thrilled for him. And I hope that he's now able, and I hope as soon as he can, he's inside a group watching cricket and, hello and, and enjoying all those things that he's enjoyed in the past. OK, Garth, where are you playing this afternoon? I'm off to Waimari Beach, which is a which I really love. We used to go over to Charteris Bay. Waimari Beach, as, as the name would suggest, is about uh, towards Brighton, um, a Lynx-style course, and, and one day to score very well on. All right, Garth, we might um, come back to you at 4 o'clock for an update. On your golf game, that is. <laughs> all right, Mark, nice to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Lovely to have you on the programme. All the very best. Garth Galloway there talking cricket. And we're talking just a little bit of golf. Uh, look, the lines are open 0800 150811. Um, OK, let's ask the question. Um, and, and again, I agree with him. Henry Nichols, a hell of a nice bloke. I remember when he made his debut when I was working on ZB and we had him on and he's wonderful to talk to. But this is sport and he hasn't been performing and I don't think he should be part of this Black Caps test lineup going forward. I don't think he's a modern day great. I think his statistics are skewed. I think Garth summed it up nicely in regards to his true batting talent against quality sides. Um, so the question I've got is, do you think Henry Nichols stacks up with some of the greats as new selector for the Black Caps, Sam Wells believes? Should he still remain in the Black Caps test series, test lineups for the series against South Africa, Australia coming up? 
That's the first point. Uh, comments too, just on Lou Vincent, 0800 150811. I think it's good news for Lou. Um, I'll give you some more reasons on that shortly. And um, should we have won the series 2-0? Does anyone really care too much about us playing Bangladesh? I don't. I just understand why we keep playing them. Yes, they're part of international cricket, but it's still got to be about entertainment. It's still got to be about nationalism. It's still got to be about feel-good. And I just have... Yeah, I just... They just do nothing for me, Bangladesh. I expect to beat them. I just still consider them to be minnows. And if we don't beat them, it's actually just depressing because it just says that perhaps we're sort of getting back into old ways of being, you know, potential, potential, potential retirement.